We're getting back into the Word, into our series through the book of 1 John. So I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 3 as we begin uh, our Bible study for this morning. I notice that it's Samantha Rush's birthday tomorrow, so be sure and wish her a happy early birthday if you see her. Do you know what a poser is? Does anybody know what a poser is? Yeah, Tristan, what's a poser? Yeah, exactly. They're posing as if they were something, but in reality, they're not that thing. And maybe, maybe you've been a poser before. We probably all have at some level. Uh, I can think about times when I've been out rock climbing with my friend and we'll maybe meet somebody on the trail uh, up or down to the rock and this person will see our climbing gear and, and everything that we have on us and they'll say, oh, rock climbing, I'm a rock climber too. And then, and then they'll ask us a question. Uh, and I can tell in that moment, they're not the kind of rock climber that we are. Not that one is better than the other, but I can tell, ah, that question just betrayed. Maybe there's a little bit of posing going on in that moment. And you've probably experienced that in whatever hobby you have or whatever uh, thing that, that you've got going on in your life. Well, today, again, we've been seeing in this book, in this letter of 1 John, that John presents to us as believers ways that we can know whether we are posers when it comes to Christianity. And he says some things that, that make us honestly look at our hearts and say, wow, I have a long ways to go in my growth and in my development. But he gives us hope too. But he wants us to look at our hearts honestly. So we're continuing in 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up where we left off in verse 10 last time around. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words, if you want to know who your daddy is, keep reading. Is your daddy God or is your daddy the devil? And what he says is pretty powerful. He says, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So we have right living and we have loving. And earlier in the gospel, in this letter, epistle, we saw that truth, how you relate to truth, can tell you whether or not you're a poser when it comes to Christianity. But we recognize at some level all of us sin and fall short of where we want to be, right? And John even said, if you claim to be without sin, well, you're a liar. So he's not saying that you can't call yourself a Christian unless you live a perfect life and you love perfectly. But what's your general attitudes towards wanting to live and emulate the character of Christ? Right living, righteousness. And, and how are you relating to people? Are you wanting to grow in an attitude of love towards others? Or is that an opposite description of your life? These are some self-reflecting questions you can ask your own self. Then verse 11, for, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. And we talked about how the command to love was not something that Jesus invented in the New Testament. It was given in Leviticus. It was given from the very beginning. In fact, Cain should have known better. 
which is where he goes next. Cain knew that he should love. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that you, that we should love one another. You want an opposite example of love? Well, verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain felt threatened by the good things that his brother was doing. And so in rage and hatred and envy and and whatever else, he murdered his brother. Well, we think to ourselves, well, I'm, (laughs) I'm not a murderer. Well, at least I'm not like Cain. But then we keep reading. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a what? Is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life living in him. So wherever we find ourselves on this spectrum, because Jesus said, if you're hating someone in your heart, it's like you're committing murder against them. Now that probably leads some of us to ask the question, well, well what is hatred? And And I thought, like, didn't Jesus get angry and upset and he flipped over the tables? And and Jesus obviously wasn't sinning when he did that. So how do we define hatred? It's probably a good thing to come to understand better, huh? Hatred can be passive and it can be active. In its most active sense, it can lead people to murder. In a passive sense, it can lead us to think thoughts in our own heart that make us sometimes wish people were dead or wish that they were being killed. Got to read something to you here. Something I read this week by a commentator named Barker, last name Barker. It says, In the heart there's no difference. To hate is to despise, to cut off from relationship, and murder is simply the fulfillment of that attitude. If in our hearts we are just so angry with someone that we're wishing that, they're, that they were just cut off from the earth, wishing that we had no more connection with them, no, no good feelings towards them, no desire for them to even be saved in our heart, it's like we just killed them. Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, Every man who hates another has the venom of murder in his veins. He may never actually take a weapon, a deadly weapon, into his hands to destroy life, but he wishes, if he wishes that his brother were out of his way, if he would be glad if no such person existed, that feeling amounts to murder in the judgment of God. Some pretty sobering thoughts here. How do we deal with anger? It's not a sin to get angry. It's not a sin to wish that people hadn't hurt us and done bad things to us. It's not a sin to wish that there would be judgment and justice done. Somebody steals my car, I'm going to be upset, and I'm going to want them to come to justice. And I may even forgive them and still be satisfied that they are locked up for a while. Amen? You know, I was reading this book that is so good. If you're living, you probably need to read a book like this. This book is called Forgive to Live. 
And it is so powerful because all of us at some point in our life struggle to forgive others. Or am I the only one that's ever struggled with that? Man, uh, the author, I believe he's a Christian, but he writes it um, even just, you know, a person off the street who's not Christian could read this and be tremendously blessed by it. And he says a lot of different things that were so helpful for me in my journey. You know, he was defining what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is giving up the right, my right, to hurt you for hurting me. When I say in my heart, okay, they hurt me, but I'm going to let go of my desire to hurt them. You are letting go of that hatred. You are forgiving. Somebody said, always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. Forgiveness can be considered almost a selfish act because all the benefits received by, uh, of forgiveness are received by the one who forgives. So if you want to be selfish, he says, yeah, almost so, it's not really selfish, but there are so many benefits to forgiveness that if you do it, you're going to be so blessed. He defines forgiveness by saying, forgiveness is the process of reframing one's anger and hurt from the past with the goal of recovering one's peace in the present and revitalizing one's purpose and hopes for the future. Taking those hurtful things, those things that you didn't like in the past, and finding a way through the power of God to reframe them. Finding a way to let go of your desire to hurt the other person back so that you can move forward in a productive and a happy life. He admits, though, that the hard truth is that people may never do what you want them to do. If we're waiting to let go of our hatred against someone until they stop doing that thing or until they apologize to us, it may never happen. In fact, they might have already died and we can't have any way for them to be reconciled to us. We might be held prisoner by them, he says. So without realizing it, you may be condemning yourself to a life of unhappiness by looking to others to do for you what only you can do for yourself through the power of God. Forgiveness. Such a powerful concept. And that's what John's talking about here. If you are unwilling to forgive in your heart, if you're holding on to this hatred, and, and I'll, I'll admit, I've held on to things in my own heart, and it's kind of fun. Right? Because it kind of gives us a little energy, like, oh, I remember what they did to me, and it kind of, Sometimes we don't even want to be out of that cycle, right? We, because if, if somehow that was gone, then we'd have to let go of this. We'd have to grow and face our own future. Instead, we can pin, it on, pin our present circumstances, our unhappiness on someone else. But if we let go of that, then, then we're responsible for our own happiness. Is this making sense? He identifies the seven deadly sins or the seven deadly traits. Sometimes when we have anger, things that we do, ways that we try and process it. You can ask yourself the question, what is it costing me to hold on to this anger? And will remaining angry make any significant difference in my life? Seven deadly strategies. When you get angry at someone, there are seven things you could do that could be destructive. 
Number one, you could overlook the hurt and not process it in a healthy way. Pretend it didn't happen and just discount it. He, he doesn't say to just discount things. He says, no, we need to process it in a healthy way so that we don't just bottle it up and then one day just explode. Number two, focusing on the unfair behavior of the person. It's always easy for us to find something that someone's doing that we don't like and focus on that and just it becomes the obsession of our mind and our thoughts and our hearts and our emotions. Don't do that, he says. Or we displace our anger on a third person. We're angry at our spouse, but then we yell at our kids, right? Uh, we get mad at other people. Or sometimes we deny our anger. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm good. Again, we're stuffing it when God would have us process it and say, hey, you know what? What you did really hurt me. But I'm willing to let go of my anger. I'm willing to extend the same forgiveness that Jesus has given to me to you. Or we develop this mental picture of revenge. We feel happy. We think about the bad things that could happen to that person and we just, we have this pleasure in our hearts. Probably some of you have experienced a lot of these. I know that I have. As I read this book, I just was underlining and highlighting a lot of things. Or other times we use drugs, alcohol, food, etc. to numb our pain. We've got this unforgiveness in our heart. We're not processing it. And so we turn to substances, to addictions, to try and make us feel better and allow us to process it that way by ignoring it. Or we become cynical against life. Let me just tell you, there is a lot of hope. If you're struggling with bitterness, if you're holding on to things, there is so much hope because Jesus has worked in my life and is continuing to work in my life and he's worked in your life too and he wants to set you free from anything that binds us. You know, I was reading a couple of, of verses. If you want to borrow this or you want more information, I really recommend this book. You don't even have to, maybe it's just for a friend that you read it. And that's, that's fine too. But I think you'll find uh, some powerful, um, powerful skills and tools for when you have things that hurt you, how to process them, how to, to do it in a Christian manner, and you will be blessed by it. But John says, we're supposed to love our brother. We're supposed to abide in that love. Not be like Cain. Not murder our brother or sister in our hearts. We need to choose to let go. I was reading some verses about that. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's turn there real quick. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31, 32. When you get there, say, I'm there. I'm there. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, and with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 
I think the more we realize and think about how much we've been forgiven of, it's going to be so much easier for us to extend that same forgiveness to someone else. And again, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean there are no consequences. doesn't let the person off the hook. But it lets go of our desire to take revenge upon them, for our desire to hurt them back. Let the bitterness go, the wrath, the anger, but be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as God in Christ forgave you. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Here's another great one. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. I'm reading today from the New King James Version. Hebrews 12, verse 14. It says, pursue what? Peace. With how many people? All people. Even the people we don't want peace with. Pursue peace. If they reject peace, that's on them. But we should at least pursue it. Pursue holiness, without which no one can see the Lord looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Pursue peace with everybody. Don't even let a little teeny root of bitterness spring up in your life. Have you pulled weeds before in your yard and found that they came back later? <laughs> you know, you're just pulling the tops off of them sometimes because they're in hard ground or you're... You're not wanting to get the shovel out. You just want to pull it out real quick. If you don't get those roots, the weed's still there and it's probably going to come back. Yeah, it's amazing how we don't have to water weeds. They just grow on their own. Same way in our spiritual life. You don't have to do anything special to let bitterness grow in your heart. It'll just grow all by itself. That's why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives and hearts every single day. Let's go back to 1 John, though. How do we know if we're abiding in God? How do we know if we're children of God? Well, number one, we look at, at how we're living and how we're loving. Are we growing? Are we wanting to grow in how we live and how we love? Are we holding on and refusing to let Christ in to heal our hurt, to unleash, unleash our brokenness, our bitterness? It also says in that passage, as we saw, that we should expect that people will not like us if we try and live right. We can expect that people will, will see our lives and, and be a little uncomfortable and, and persecute. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. You're just trying to make good choices in your life and then things happen. Uh, people try and make you mad. But we've got to stay on the path. Verse 15, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It doesn't mean that murderers can't be saved. But a person who's unwilling to let go of this murderous thoughts, murderous actions... How can Christ be abiding in your heart? 
if that's going on. We need his help to set us free from all these things. And then we get to verse 16. By this we know love. Okay, we talked about hatred, bitterness, and so forth. Now, what's love? Give us a picture of love, John. Okay. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for the brethren. If you want to know what the ultimate display of love is, we only have to think about the cross and what Jesus did for us there. Complete giving up his life to save us. But you know, God probably won't call most or maybe even any of us to be martyrs. Perhaps he will. Uh, So there's something that you might encounter more this week in the next verse. Verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So you know that there's a situation that you can do something about. But instead of opening your heart to let God's love and and God's opportunity and resources or whatever the case might be flow through you, you just close it up. No, not going to go there. How is God's love abiding in our heart? Powerful things to think about. Shutting up our heart. The same, the same thing that happens when we murder people in our thoughts or in real life where we're closing off our heart to them happens sometimes when we refuse to help people who God is calling us to help. And of course, we have to be wise about how we help people. I'm not suggesting that, that this means that you have to give all your possessions to every person who asks of you. But we need to be willing to prayerfully consider, God, what will you have me do to help this person in need? Verse 18, my dear children, little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just be a poser, he says. Don't just talk about it, do it. Love is an action word. Not just something you feel in your heart. It's not simply a warm fuzzy. It's something that leads you to do practical, tangible things. I remember when I was in grade school, there was this guy that said he was really good at karate. Right? He wanted to be a black belt in karate. And uh, he was saying, see that stick over there? I could break that stick in half. I could just kick it in half. And we're like, all right, Mr. Tough Guy, if you're so good, then go do it. And he went over to the stick, and he tried to kick it, and and he he couldn't do it. But we were saying, man, you talk about it, but let's put it into action. If If you really love, then let's see your love. Let's feel your love. Don't just say, oh, I love you. Hey, I'll pray for you. Do it. You know, we say, oh, I'll pray for you. It's better to just say, hey, can we pray right now? Because a lot of times we say, I'll pray for you, and then what do we do? That's where it stops. And I've been so guilty of that myself, right? So don't just love in your words, but, but make it practical in deed and in truth. Verse 19, and by this we know that we are in the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. When we realize that love is growing in our hearts, it can give us a confidence. Yes, I'm in him. I'm growing in him. You see, the thing is, as we get closer and closer to Jesus, we often see more and more of our faults in our life. 
And we get more worried. Oh no, I realize I have this flaw and this, and this is another area I need Jesus to work. And sometimes we think we're losing ground. Well, maybe you're, you're actually getting closer to him and that's why you're realizing more, right? You've been working in your garden, the sun sets, you come into the house, as you're getting closer to the house, you start to realize, oh man, I'm really dirty. You get inside the light, you look in the mirror, whoa, I'm really dirty. You've been getting closer to the light the whole time, and the result is you see more of the areas that need to be cleaned. So, so don't get discouraged, but just look in your life and, and see, hey, there, I, I do have more love for this person than I had five years ago, last week, whatever the case might be. Hey, God is doing something in my life. It can assure our hearts. Verse 20, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. There may be two reasons why our hearts condemn us. One, it could be because we did something wrong, and it's the Holy Spirit you know, talking to us, telling us we need to make it right. And in that case, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And so we go through that process, and we experience a cleansing in our hearts. And other times, our hearts condemn us because the devil is trying to get us discouraged. Even though we've confessed those sins, we still feel maybe shame for what we've done, or we don't believe that Christ has forgiven us. John says, no, 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 God is greater than our hearts. God knows all things, he sees all things, and he sees that you've confessed that sin, you've asked for forgiveness. He knows that you're wanting to grow, and so let his assurance be in your heart. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Just that a casual reading of this verse, it makes it sound like, okay, if I obey really well, I'm going to get a lot of things when I pray, right? So I'm going to be extra good because I have some big requests, right? That's one way you could read it, but let's keep reading because it's going to make more sense as we see it in its context. And this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has given us commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, if we follow it backwards, it says, basically, if you've got the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're abiding in Jesus and Jesus is in you, it's going to do something in your life. You're going to want to follow him. You're going to believe him more. You're going to want to love people more. And if you're doing those things, man, if the Holy Spirit's in your life, you're connected to Jesus, when you get down on your knees to pray or you, you're praying in your car or wherever you pray, do you think God can impress you the things to ask for? You know, Elijah, he prayed. He said, God, I pray that it won't rain for three years. <laughs> and it didn't rain. Do you think that thought to just ask God to stop the rain in the land was Elijah's original idea? Or do you think maybe God had impressed him to pray for that? Yeah, and what about when, when he, he prayed that it would start raining again? Was that just Elijah's thought like, boy, it's really dry here. I'd better pray now. Could be, but probably it was God who said through the Holy Spirit that was in his life, abiding in him, Now's the time. Ask me, and I'm going to do great things for you. 
And so if we naturally have this connection, the Holy Spirit's in our heart, we're abiding in Jesus, he's in us. When we pray, we're not going to be praying for the things that we shouldn't have or that aren't good for us in our lives. Our heart will be more in tune with his, and so he will be impressing us more of the things that we should be praying for. And we also remember that even Jesus, who was always connected to the Father, he prayed that he wouldn't have to go through the experience of Calvary. But he submitted it back to God by saying, but not my will, your will be done. But again, here in this passage, as we start to to wrap it up for the day, we realize that love and the ability to love only comes through Jesus and an abiding relationship with him. Have you tried to love on your own? I sure have. I'm not very good at it. You know, I have a little love cup or a love uh, you know, portion in my reservoir in my life. And once that is exhausted and I'm on empty, sorry, no more love for the day. Unless I'm connected to the source that wants to keep filling it constantly. If you want to drive a car, you need to have gas. Right? If we want to have love, it's impossible without abiding in the source of love, without having the Holy Spirit. What does that verse say? But the fruit of the Spirit is self-sufficiency? What does it say? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. So if you want to have more love, what do you need more of? The Spirit. Just makes sense, right? If you're having trouble loving, you don't need to work harder at loving. You need to spend more time seeking the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you're having trouble forgiving, you need to go to the one who forgave us first and let him help you forgive. And he works through practical things. He works through other people. He works through good books like this. But it can't happen apart from him. If you want these changes in your life, you need to go to the one who can make the changes happen and can make the changes last. I don't want to be a poser when it comes to my faith. How about you? I realize I'm a broken person. I come to church, I'm a broken person. This isn't a place for perfect people. This is a place for broken people who admit they're broken and need the Savior to fix them. Amen? It's not a sanctuary, it's not a museum for the saints, but a hospital for sinners. And so today we come and we say, God, at times I struggle to forgive. God, I've been struggling with this for 13 years. You know what they did to me, God. And and to be honest with you, God, I don't want to let it go. But we come and we, we get honest with God. And he's able to start working in our life. God, I have a hard time loving this person. You know what they do, God. Today he invites us, seek the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Get into an abiding relationship and let Jesus in your heart do the loving for you. Let his power flow through you. You know, there's that song, All You Need Is Love, right? I was at a wedding a a while ago, and that was the song that was played. It was a very secular wedding. And love is good, but all we need is Jesus who can make us love, right? need to rewrite that song. 
I want to read one more passage and tell you a story before we close. Go to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Starting in verse 3. Titus is where all the T's are. After Thessalonians, after First and Second Timothy, Titus. Titus 3, verse 3. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Anything on that list that you can identify with? I identify with a lot. But then verse 4. But when the kindness and the what? And the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness in which we had done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified in his grace, we should also become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Once we, we had all these problems in our life, and, and we're not even perfect now, but then Jesus appeared, his love and his kindness, and it started to work a change in our hearts. We let that change happen in our hearts and we were washed, we were regenerated, we were renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the love of Jesus, and we are now heirs to the good things of God. Do you want that in your life? I need that in my life every day. A few years ago, I was talking to my friend, and she was saying, hey, why do you, why do you dislike so-and-so? I can tell. I can tell you and so-and-so don't like each other. And I was like, oh, how did they know? It was a friend of mine that I used to really enjoy being with, and then there just was some friction between us, and I just stopped liking that person. Didn't want to be around them. It just was a bad thing, and I was kind of holding some grudges in my heart, and, and my friend noticed it. People can often tell when you're holding on to things. And so I was like, well, what do I do? They said, you need to apologize to this person. And I was thinking, apologize for what? I can't recall doing anything wrong. <laughs> and they said, you just need to call them up and say, I don't know what it is, but I feel I've done something to offend you and hurt you, and I'm very, very sorry for it. First, I had to decide, well, do I actually want to do that? Do I want this relationship to get better? Do I want to be set free from these grudges and this bitterness? And I decided, yeah, that's, that's what I want. I don't want to be stuck where I'm at. So one day, make a phone call. It's a little awkward. Called him up and said, hey, I've got something I want to talk to you about. But before we talk, could I have a prayer? Let him know I was really serious about this. And so I prayed. And I said, hey, I noticed that it seems like there's some friction between you and me. And I want to let you know that I value you. And if there's something that I've done that offended you or made you upset, I'm very, very sorry about it. 
I don't want that to come between you and me. And they were really caught off guard. And I'll tell you what I was hoping for in my heart. <laughs> I was hoping that I would say, well, you know what? I'm sorry, too, for X, Y, Z. And that's what I was hoping for. But instead they said, well, well thank you so much for letting me know. I, I really appreciate that. It's very thoughtful of you to say. And, and we ended our conversation. And so, you know, in one sense, I didn't get, I'm so sorry, John, for what I did. And, you know, I didn't get that. But when I chose to make that step, to be vulnerable and to say, I apologize for what I've, I realize my actions haven't been perfect. It started to do a change in my heart. And you know what? Our friendship became so much better and was restored after that. I, I still don't know what happened exactly, but I thank God that he's got the power to restore broken relationships. Um, at the very least, he's got the power to restore a broken heart. And I want that brokenness to be restored. How about you? Let's bow our heads. Dear God, we need you. We can't love others without you. So I pray that each of us will seek you and your Holy Spirit. May we ask for the filling of your Spirit every single day. And as we abide in you, Lord, just do powerful things through your love, reaching and loving others, even the people that are hard to love in our life. If there are specific instances in our own experience where we need to make some things right, or we need to let some things go, I pray that you'll help us to work through those things. Give us the courage. Give us the strength. And with joy, we look forward to restored relationships and restored hearts. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy Sabbath.